You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Joining us today is our first guest, Risa Gannell, who is a Maryland-licensed clinical marriage and family therapist who has been practicing for 30 years. She also served on the Maryland State Board of Professional Counselors and Therapists from 2014 through June of 2020, where she also held the position of board chair for four of those years. Before we hear from Risa, here's a little more about her. Welcome, everyone. Um, So our guest today, of course, is Risa, um, and she's a marriage and family therapist and was involved in the pursuit of licensure for therapists in the state long before licensure even existed, actually. She received her master's degree in marriage and family therapy at the University of Maryland at College Park, has trained directly under the supervision of Esther Perel, is certified as a relational life therapist through Terry Real, and is grateful to have had such influential mentors. She's also the founder of Together Couples Counseling. She's been voted Howard County's best counselor across multiple years. She's known for her clinical work and her clinical uh, style as being kind and fierce in the same breath, helping her clients connect to the truth to create lasting change. Her gifts blend wisdom with quiet strength and relationship brain science with empathetic connection. Her mission is to facilitate relational growth in every individual, couple, organization, or board she works with. And I also can just personally attest that I know her personally, and she's amazing. Welcome, Risa. Thank you, Dan and Melissa. It's really just fabulous to be here. It's always awkward to hear your own description of yourself. So (laughs) I'll just take a moment and... uh... (laughs) Well, that's quite the biography. So we're really glad to have you here today. We're going to have a lot of questions for you because you do have unique experiences that you bring to, to the table, both as a licensed clinician and as someone who has been a former member and chair of the state board. Um, So before we get going into some of those questions, however, I do just want to clarify that you are here today to speak about your personal experience and that you are not here as a representative of the board. So that's really important. And we wanted to put that out there. Yeah. And I just want to clarify what board you're speaking about, Melissa. Go for it. Uh, you're you're talking about the state of Maryland, uh, the licensing board for uh, clinical and professional therapists. So one thing most practitioners know, if you're not a practitioner, you're listening to this podcast that you may not be aware of then, is that there are a number of different boards that all provide licensure to different types of licenses, but that the entire group of people who are licensed um, do become um, therapists or are permitted to uh, work in behavioral health, essentially in Maryland. So RISA, what we're talking about today... Um, is the board for clinical um, and professional therapists. Yeah, the board of professional counselors and therapists is its official title. The official title, correct. (laughs) And it is a little bit confusing because that board is one of the only, or maybe the only, composite board, meaning it represents several different licensees, whereas the social work board, for example, only licenses social workers. The psychologists only licenses psychologists, but the board of professional counselors and therapists licenses five different disciplines. So that's a really good thing. That right there, I was just going to say that right there is extremely useful and interesting information that I would guess that probably 95% 
of the population doesn't isn't aware of. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The first question I'm going to ask is, um, and this is one of the biggest ones I hear, particularly from those outside of the mental health field or those who are not themselves practitioners, you know, is, you know, hey, what is the actual purpose of the board? Um, why does it exist? Yeah, it's a really important clarification because I think that there is a lot of confusion as to what the purpose of the board is. You mentioned when you were introducing me that I've been involved since before there even was licensure in the state. And that um, reminds me of my age. So um, <clears throat> it was back in the early 90s when I was in graduate school and there was no such thing as licensure for marriage and family therapists or professional counselors and so on. And we would go to Annapolis to lobby the legislators to form um, licensure for our profession in order mm -hmm. to um, the main mission of licensure and the board is to protect the citizens of the state. So that's a really important clarification. And certainly, you know, professions seek licensure of any kind in order to legitimize um, and standardize care to met, make sure there are certain standards that people who are providing therapy meet in order to be allowed to provide that service in order to protect the citizens of the state. Um, and I think that is just really an essential clarification because there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. Yeah, I think that that's really important for people to know about as the primary purpose of the board. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting because I think, again, just having you on here talking about this is, at least to my mind, I don't know a lot of times where people have the ability to listen to someone actually tell them the, this type of information. You know, it's not that it's not out there, but oftentimes I think that, like I said, the general um, public and many people even in mental health, you know, are not as clear on these points um, as they maybe should be. So it's useful, I think, to hear you talking about this, and I'm appreciative of that. I would imagine that you get questions, Dan, from you know, the legal perspective mm -hmm. from licensees mm -hmm. who you help about the board. Are there questions that come up from that direction? Yeah, you know, they, they run the gamut. Um, they run the, you know, from simple things like, you know, what is the board's policy in this? Or what is the board's policy of this? Or what is the ethics of that? And, you know, what I often say is I, I do help them with that. But I also say, well, Here's where their 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 cut of ethics is. Here's their uh, page on the web. Um, you know, please make sure that you are aware um, and um, knowledgeable about what's on here. What's really great, what I love um, that at least Maryland has. I can't speak to other states, obviously. Um, is that every board, but particularly um, the the professional counselors board, um, has a web page, right? You can go to, and it lists out everyone who's on the board. It lists out who's. Um, working uh, for the board. It lists what the ethics are. It lists a whole bunch of really useful information. So one of my first things I often tell people is start there. Um, you know, other questions I've gotten have ranged from, you know, if there's a, a concern about something the board is doing, um, whether it's regard to them or someone else. But I've also gotten questions of pertaining to, you know, what does the board do? You know, yeah, all right, we, we I, you know, usually practice say, I get it. They, you know, look into it. Uh, practitioners. And as you said, the board's duty is to protect the citizens of the state of Maryland. And so what I think is, you know, we both know that 
the board does have other um, functions. It doesn't just um, do investigations or carry out discipline of uh, providers or uh, clinicians. Um, but we both know, you and I both know, that there's a number of other functions that the board does do that are extremely important to the mental health pro- profession, but also to and for um, those who are licensed. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, about what some of the other functions of the board are and what are the things they're doing? So everybody, especially clinicians, are aware that the board has a disciplinary function. That Mm -hmm. is the one function that everyone is most afraid of, causes the most anxiety, and, um, you know, is present, right? And everyone's awareness. (laughs) Right. Top of the list is what people talk to you about. Right. Yes. And certainly that's an important function of the board because of its mission to protect the public, but it has several other functions as well. And so I'll give you a little bit of a sense of the structure of the board itself. Sure. So there are board members, right? And those board members are volunteers. Mm-hmm. And there are a certain number of board members per licensure, right? So there are three marriage and family therapists on the board. There are, I think it's four professional counselors, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to quote the numbers because I will mix it up and I don't sure. want to mix it up. You can see on the website, you know, the number of Uh, designated per profession. Okay. And so that's the makeup of the board itself, of the volunteers. There is an executive director who is hired by the board, the volunteer board. And the executive director uh, is uh, oversees the actual uh, work of the staff who are state employees. And some of those staff members have been there since the board was formed. Wow. Some have been there a very long time. And so that's that's sort of the organizational structure mm-hmm. of it. Now, sure. within the board members, the volunteers themselves, there are committees. Obviously, there's the disciplinary committee, right? So I'm not really going to go into that. They review um, uh, complaints that come before the board from uh, the public. Right. And I feel that's the, that's the one everyone's like, oh, that's what the board does. But there's, there's so know, much more. There's so mm-hmm. much more. There's so much more. So the disciplinary committee is one committee and there are three, there are two other important committees, which is the credentialing committee. Which most people know about because they want to get their credentials. That's right. So when you're applying on, you know, a, a, someone who is um, new in the field, finishing their graduate degree, we're moving here from another state. They have to find out what the actual standards are, what uh, requirements they have to meet in order to obtain a license. And the credentialing committee reviews every single application that comes in. It goes through the staff first, and the staff helps the person make sure everything was submitted properly and that they have all the proper documentation, fees paid, and things like that. And then it goes before the credentialing committee to be reviewed to make sure, hey, is there anything missing here? Is there anything uncertain here? And it's, you know, given the go ahead or going back to the person to say, hey, we're missing this or we don't understand that and so on. And the purpose of that is to make sure that anyone providing therapy in the state of Maryland meets the requirements that were set out in regulations Mm -hmm. by the state. 
Yeah, now that, and it's interesting because that is one of the things I do talk to people about, right? When we talk about credentialing, we talk about um, a lot of the stuff, there's always a basis. There's always a legal basis, you know, the, the law underlying everything. You know, everything the board does, any any really agency or board in Maryland is under, you know, underneath it all is some sort of legislation um, law that's in place that's that's kind of guiding what they're doing. Um, just out of curiosity, is there a time, a, a typical time length it takes for, you know, when an application comes in for licensure to the point gets approved? Or is that just going to vary from person to person and application to application? Well, I can tell you that when I was on the board, it took too long. And, and I think I think there are a lot of licensees who would say, you know, it took far too long. Okay. And one of our missions during my time on the board was to shorten that amount of time wherever sure. possible. What's happening now? I don't know. I'm not on the board. Sure. I can't speak to that. <laughs> no. But our goal while while I was there was to shorten it because look, we, we want people to work. We want mm-hmm. there to be providers out there sure. so that constituents have availability. And so as much as possible, that was part of the mission to shorten Great. that amount of time and turn it around. Now, Risa, also, when we were talking in preparation for the recording today, um, you had mentioned a little bit about those people who serve on the disciplinary team, right? And really kind of the links that they go into. And I think that if you're open to share a little, to sharing a little bit about that, I think that that would just be really helpful for people to hear. Sure. But before we do that, I want to make sure that I mentioned the other committee that's, yes, that's yes, part of the board, which is the legislative committee. Okay. Yeah. And, and that committee is aware of all the things that are going on in Annapolis that may affect the licensees and mm-hmm. the practice of therapy in the state. Mm-hmm. So they make sure to be aware of what's going on. And, and then the entire board discusses, well, is this something that we should weigh in on? Is it something we shouldn't weigh in on? We take input from professional associations, right? Who come before the board. And I'm, I'm saying legislative, but my apologies. It's, it's really like legs and regs is what it was mm-hmm. called is the committee. Cause it's legislation and regulations. Sure. Okay. So those are two distinct things, but they're connected. And so that's actually the name of the committee. So things like, you know, for example, Maryland just updated the definition of telehealth, for example. Um, and Maryland also just changed the age of consent for um, mental health therapy in Maryland mm-hmm. um, starting in October. So things like that, when changes like that occur, which across the board will affect practitioners of all license types, right. um, but even if it affects specifically um, you, you know, your specific license type, those are things that this committee would be aware of, or if they felt they needed to weigh in on, they would weigh in on essentially that. Right. They would bring okay. it to the board's awareness. There'd be a board discussion, and then it's brought to the board's opinion is brought mm-hmm. to the legislators in Annapolis. And so really that that that's probably one of the most important functions, I think, it sounds like, because you know, that's the type of thing that you know, if you're a current practitioner, um, you're currently licensed. Um, these updates that occasionally happen in Maryland law, they happen in all states, of course, you know, um, as as decades or years go by, things need to be updated or changed. Those are particularly important to practitioners and how they run their practices. Um, and knowing those things are, you know, as we always talk about on here, is is you know best practices in terms of compliance, of course. So it makes sense to me that this would be a really critical function of the board, because certainly if there was legislation being considered that might be detrimental to practitioners, 
that would be this would be the arm of the board that would enable it to kind of address that and bring its concerns forward. I, I guess sure. you could say. Sure. And and the other piece is that practitioners have a really good sense of whether legislation would be detrimental to the public sure. as well in a different way than legislators might, right? Because we have the firsthand experience of working with clients in our office and what can sound really good at a broad brushstroke to a legislator may not be reasonable from the more, I'll say like granular level of mm-hmm. in the office doing the work. Sure. And so sometimes it, it may be, hey, well, wait a minute. We don't recommend that, whatever that is sure uh, because of x y and z we're opposing it right we're opposing that legislation and board members go literally before the legislator and legislators and testify mm-hmm. uh, as to the board's opinion you know it's interesting because that's something that does come up occasionally um with when i'm working with practitioners is that sometimes there is a disconnect um that you can you can see even me as an attorney or you know especially maybe me as an attorney that you know the law or legislation will say one thing, but in reality, you know, trying to comply with it is much more difficult because the reality of what's happening, what I said, what I call it, is on the street essentially, um, is sometimes not the same. It's not. It's theoretically, it sounds great, but when you start to put these things in practice, um, that's where it becomes very difficult. So yeah. it's an interesting point. Yeah, it can at times inhibit care as well. And Absolutely. And I guess the other thing that's important about the legs and regs that we're talking about is that the board has an open meeting every month, an open portion to the meeting where the public can come and hear the open portion of the meeting. Mm -hmm. And that's always announced on the website as to when that is. If I'm remembering correctly, it's the third Friday of every Mm -hmm. month. Usually it's on the web page. But it's on the web page. So don't hold me to that if it changes. And so that's an important thing for people to know that you can go and do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's online now and of course has been all through COVID. Certain eventually it will open back up to being in person. Yes. It's certainly helpful for people who want to be informed or for people who want to be part of the conversation. Right. But also, it, I think that, again, just goes back to my point, you know, that, and I make this all the time, the practitioners, is that you should be bookmarking that page if you are this type of license, um, because keeping abreast and keeping knowledge about what's happening, what the board is doing, or what things you need to know as a practitioner will often be posted on that page. I probably look at that page, I'll be honest with you guys, and I'm a lawyer, um, I probably look at that page about once a month, mm-hmm. um, just about. Um, and I have, I have that and all the other licensed sports bookmarked. Um, but I will tell you that particular page because that seems to be uh, a, a lot of the practitioners I work with have um, your license type. Um, this is very often questions can be answered. Um, I think I'm constantly looking at the ethics, which are um, the rules of ethics, which are listed on their on their webpage. Um, so it's a really useful webpage. I'll just put, throw that out there. Yeah. So, Risa, most of us have not served on the board. So can you tell us a little bit about what it is actually like to serve on the board, knowing that you've been there? Can you give us an idea? Not that it's going to be the same for every board, but can you tell us a little bit about what it is like to serve on the board? Sure. So to serve on the board, you have to be appointed by the governor. So there's a process that you apply. And occasionally there's an opening that comes up for different license types, right? Because as I mentioned before, there's a certain number of 
representatives per license type on the board, Mm -hmm. and you serve a term, which is... um, is it four okay. years or two years? Yeah. It's one of those. So we there's won't a hold term, you though. to the details. I serve, so, hold many, it to, yeah. I serve okay. so many terms, I can't remember what the minimum that, that's was. Not a problem. So, okay. But there's a term that you serve in some, there's a term. some way. Right. And you go through a process, an interview process and whatever. And then if you're approved, the governor you know, appoints you to the board. And you get mm-hmm. a big fancy certificate. It's really kind of nice. Nice. If, if you like those things. Um, but that's just the process to be on the board. And, you know... It's a volunteer position. It's it's really something of an experience to be with other, I call us sibling um, professions, mm-hmm. okay? Because I we're all there to really support the, the mental health of um, you know the public and do so in unique ways, but connected ways, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's marriage and family therapists, there's counselors, there's art therapists, there's drug and alcohol counselors, and so on on the board. So we're connected, but we do things differently as well. And for me, when when I was asked to serve, look, I'm a relationship therapist. Like my training is really about relationships. And I, I do everything from that framework of connection. And so when I was on the board, my mission was to really foster that sense of, hey, we're siblings here, because I'm not um, saying anything people don't know when, mm-hmm. if I were to say that there's been conflict between the professions, mm-hmm. right? And my, my mission was really to reduce that, but more importantly, to reduce the adversarial relationship between licensees mm-hmm. and the board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. And part of it, which is partly why I'm, I really appreciate you asking me to speak today, mm-hmm. because there's misinformation that causes some of that adversarial. 100%. And I can tell you that as an attorney, 100%. Yeah. I, I see it. I think the key word there is misinformation. There's, yeah. there's a lot of misinformation. So... What's it like to be on the board? You know, I met some amazing colleagues and put in a lot of time and energy. It's not something to do lightly. It takes a lot of time. And then certainly to be chair um, is a big responsibility. I took it as a very big responsibility. And so, you know, if we look at just sort of the concrete, you meet, we meet once a month for a whole day. Pretty much. Um, wow. A whole, I don't even think I knew a whole day. Well, if we were really speedy, we were done by two o'clock, but sometimes Still. it was longer than that. Mm-hmm. Wow. But it also was a great opportunity to support the different professions and to really understand the other professions as well mm-hmm. through conversations around different things, whether it was legislation or regulations or things that they were battling in their own uh, experiences and other practitioners of their license type were were battling that you might not know about when you're, you know, especially if you're in private practice, which is mm-hmm. a bit more isolating than if you're working in an agency or a hospital and so on. You know, I testified several times before the legislators. That's a little anxiety provoking, but uh, Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, and I'll mention this too, because I don't know that people know this. The board gets audited every 10 years to make sure 
that the board should still exist. Mm. Okay. And so the board itself has to meet certain standards and requirements for getting things done, for making sure discipline cases move through and are addressed and, and so on. Um, regulations are written or whatever. And so there's a, an audit process that happens for the board as well. I happen to be on the board during the time of one of those audits. Mm. I'm wondering if that's why I got an email that I got, not like maybe a few <laughs> years ago. I'm like, it, maybe that was part of that process. That may have been. If there, if there was a survey that yep. you um, mm-hmm. filled out, then that was likely a part of the audit because the auditors, the state auditors want to know from licensees what their experience is with the board. Sure. So that was probably a part of it. Can I make one point, Melissa? I think it's interesting that you got that email, right? And just now you're learning that in reality, that was may have been part of like just, you know, the, the standard audit that, that does occasionally happen. But I wonder how many other practitioners are out there listening who this is, I think, particularly why this, this conversation with you, Risa, is so important and illuminating because you're providing us information that I don't think a lot of people really realize or or should know, but maybe you know actually don't know. Yeah, and I think they mentioned it in the survey. Did they the purpose okay. of the survey? So they made it clear what it was. But prior to oh. that, was I like, oh yes, the board gets audit audited? Did I know that? No, but I got the survey and I read it. So, but that is really good for people to know. I'm wondering, you know, kind of on this note, can you speak to maybe reasons why licensed clinicians might be interested in? applying for one of these positions when they become vacant? What are some reasons that people do this, knowing that it's volunteer work, it's your whole day each month that you have to spend doing whatever you have to do? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I, I mean, it's the kind of thing that's really unique to each person in terms of what their their reasoning is. It's a good way to get involved further with your profession, obviously. And if you have a strong sense of wanting to help protect the citizens of Maryland around getting good service and having it be available and that legislation and regulations be written in a way that serves the main purposes and the protection of the citizens. And, you know, some of it is just if, if that's something you're willing to dedicate your time to. and. It's a bit of a thankless job, mm-hmm. right? And it's not, that's just because of the type of position that it is. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, you have to be sort of intrinsically motivated to do it. And it's just, it was, it's a great experience. Sure. Uh, it has its ups and downs, just like any other um, position like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And just going back really quickly to that disciplinary team. Right. Because again, as we said, like people really know that this is where I go. I go to the board for my license and I go to them if they're, you know, they're involved, if there's a disciplinary action. But you did say some things about the people who are serving in that role and how seriously they take that role. And I, and I was wondering if you could just speak to that a little bit, since we're not usually involved in those behind the scenes interactions. Um, yeah. It's just something that we're afraid of ever happening. Right. Well, I think the main thing I want people to know is that. It's taken very seriously by the clinicians who are having to review the complaints mm-hmm. and then determine how should this move forward? What should, what's the next step to take? It's not taken lightly. We know the people who do that know that this affects not only the lives of whoever is out there as a client, 
but the clinician as well. Mm-hmm. And so there's some some painstaking discussions that are had um, in that room because of the commitment to really protecting people and not looking to just go after clinicians. That's not what they're there for. Right. It's not what they're there for. And they are clinicians. And so they know the seriousness of what they're dealing with and having to balance the care of a fellow clinician and the protection of the public. Yeah. And and I'm glad that you say that because that's one of the things that we talk about on our website and on our podcast, Mm -hmm. right? That when you are informed and doing the things that you need to do as a licensed professional, you are protecting your practice, but most importantly, you are also protecting your clients. Um, And so I think that that's a really important thing to make note of. So I know we have to wrap it up here. We had one more question for you. And that is that if there were two things that you would want licensed professionals, um, just kind of generally people who are mental health practitioners to know about to know about the board or just to be more informed about what's happening with their state licensing board, what are two things that you would recommend? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is what the board is not there for. That's a good clarification. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are many things that the board is not there for that licensees mistakenly believe are there for. So the board is not there and the staff of the board is not there to interpret for clinicians the regulations, legislation, COMAR. That's not what they're there for. Dan, you could probably speak better than me as to who they should go to. When when those questions come up, if you have those questions, you're a practitioner and you're listening, who you should be consulting with is an attorney. And that's not necessarily a pitch for me. At all, what it is to say is though, if you have those questions, you need to be consulting with legal counsel. You know, like, that is what attorneys do. This is what we do on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking that as you said that. <laughs> so it's what the attorneys do. It's not what the board does. Correct. That's exactly. Right. That's right. The board is also not there for employment disputes. So if you work for an agency um, or a practice and you're having trouble with your um, employer, your supervisor, calling the board with issues around that is is not going to get you the answers or the assistance that you need. Again, that, and, and that's more because that's that sounds like it's more of an employment issue, you know, employment law related rather than there's something regarding the licensure or the actual profession itself, which as we've discussed, the board, you know, besides the licensure does things like um, uh, making sure uh, to, in terms of the, the um, legislation being proposed, things like that. So it sounds like that's more of an employment issue, contract issue, that type of thing that has nothing to do with the board. That's right. It's a good clarification. We really appreciate you coming. One thing I want to just offer you, just to have you, just to be able to, to offer you quickly is um, if there's uh, more that people can learn about you, um, what you're up to, um, even how they can uh, contact you or reach out to you, do you have some information you can provide our listeners? You know, my practice is Together Couples Counseling, which can be found on the web at togethercouplescounseling.com. That's for my therapy practice and my, you know, doing some other public speaking and things like that through resaganell.com. So we really appreciate you coming by again. Um, That does wrap up our conversation for today. We thank you for listening and for joining us. Um, We hope that you found this conversation with Risa as interesting as it was for us. 
I think that um, it was really awesome to hear from you, Risa. And here are a number of different points that I think most people either don't get to hear often um, or don't know much about. So I'm grateful for that. And we're also, again, grateful for you if you're listening. Thank you for joining us again. Um, to join the conversation further, if you have questions, comments, critiques, um, have your own anecdotes, please feel free to share them. As always, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also reach out on the web at www.protectingyourpractice.com. Uh, we want to hear from you. So that's it for now. Be well, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.